Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. Today I'm going to be preaching on Matthew 16, 13 to 20. It's interesting that I landed on this passage today because it's Pearl Harbor Day. And I'm going to be preaching on D-Day. It's a D-Day sermon. The actual title is D-Day Alien Invasion. I've always been fascinated by alien movies. Sometimes the aliens turn out to be nice guys, like E.T. But usually the storyline is the aliens land, we check them out, are they friendly, we get fried, and then we end up fighting them. The Bible is actually a story of alien invasions. First of all, Satan invades with his fallen angels, and Adam surrenders the planet through sin. The human race morphs into this evil race of mutants. Think invasion of the body snatchers. They turn into something they're not. We turn into something we're not supposed to be. We're at war with God, our loving Creator. But God stages an alien invasion of His own. He sends His Son, the God Man, Jesus. He's born at Christmas. He dies on the cross to free us and to heal us of this killer virus, this mutant killer virus that we have, which is sin and death. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And when we believe in Jesus, when we put our faith in him because he died on the cross for us to take away our sin, to defeat sin and Satan and death, when he did that, he, he gave us a chance to be re-transformed, to be recreated really and when we put our faith in him we ask Jesus to forgive our sins we put our faith in what he did for us we give our life to him the Holy Spirit comes within us and we become children of God we're transformed into a brand new creation 2nd Corinthians 5 17 therefore if anyone was in it, anyone is in Christ he is a new creation that's what the gospel really is that's what all four Gospels are all about, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We've been in Mark chapter 8, and we're up to 27 through 30. Last week we saw how Jesus opened the apostles' eyes to who he really is, eyes wide open. That was last week. If you weren't here, get the CD or go on the podcast on the website there. But I want to look at today a parallel passage, which goes into more detail on this, especially the spiritual war we are all in. Let's start with prayer. Father, we pray for your mercy and grace to hear what your word is saying, and not just to hear it, but to live it. We pray that your Holy Spirit would really speak to us and work on our hearts. And if anybody has never put their faith in you, given their life to you, that they would do that today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's start by reading Matthew sixteen thirteen to 20. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. So we saw verses 13 to 16 here. We looked at already in Mark chapter 8. You are the Christ, 
the Son of the Living God. And if you weren't here, once again, get the CD or go on the podcast. We're going to be focused on that, who he really is, the Son of the Living God, the Christ. But I want to look at verses 17 to 20, especially today, and really dig into these verses. Let me read them to you again. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Some of you grew up being told, Peter is the rock the church is built on. He was the first pope. Now, even if this interpretation is true, that Peter is the rock that Jesus is talking about, there's absolutely nothing in the Bible about apostolic succession. There's no such thing as popes. So even if you could argue that point that Peter is the rock Jesus is talking, there's still no such thing as the popes in apostolic succession. In fact, there was no pope for 300 years. That evolved, the idea of a pope evolved after the Catholic Church, God's holy Catholic Church, became the Roman Catholic Church. And when that happened, they backtracked, and then the, the, the pope of that time looked back and, and found all these popes all throughout history. I'm sure many of them were in heaven very shocked by, what, I was a pope? I didn't know that. And what happened is the Roman bishop, there were many bishops throughout the world, but the Roman bishop became very powerful because he was in Rome, and he had the political power. And he attempted a hostile takeover of the entire church, which created schisms. That's how we got the East and the West and, and many, many different, different schisms. Throughout history, there have been many different, uh, at the same time, multiple popes fighting over who was the real representative of Jesus on earth. Doesn't sound very Christ-like, does it? Now, I know there are many born-again Roman Catholics. I know many good friends of mine. And, and even out of the Roman Catholic Church, about 30% of Roman Catholics are born again. Which isn't too bad, considering Protestants are only 50%, so not too bad there. I consider them my brothers and sisters in Christ, but it's important to know what's biblical and what's not. The Bible and the history of the popes show clearly that they are not Jesus Christ's representative on earth. The Bible and the history of the popes show this. First of all, popes, the popes introduced false teaching. They, they introduced the concept that we are saved by works and not faith, which is exactly what Jesus was fighting with the Pharisees about. But that false teaching was introduced by the popes later on in history. And we all know what false, false teaching is from a false teacher, and we know what we're supposed to do with that. That's a sign of the fruit. And, and not only the false teaching, but the fruit itself. Jesus said, watch out for wolves in sheep's clothing. By their, by their fruit, you will recognize them. And it's really important to... to Take a look at that and look at the, the fruit of this. If you look at the history of the popes, most of, mostly it's a history of politics and immorality and war and persecution of true Christians. Just as Rome persecuted the, the Christians before Constantine, as soon as he came in, later on, the, the Roman Catholic Church became the persecutor. Lots of persecutions. Millions were killed because they wouldn't submit to the pope to this man. In fact, the Inquisition was started for this purpose. And the Inquisition, a lot of people think, well, the Spanish Inquisition went for 50 years or something like that. No, the Inquisition went from 1100 to the 1800s. It went over 700 years of Inquisition. Millions were killed 
Bible-believing Christians who wanted to follow Jesus Christ were killed. In fact, the first crusade, we all hear so much about the crusades, the Holy Lands, and, and all that they did that were sent by the Roman Catholic Church. Well, the first crusade was sent against Christians, evangelical Christians, Bible-believing Christians who believe that you're saved by faith alone in Christ alone, and our authority is Jesus Christ. And the, the, the first crusade was sent against them, and there was a whole history hundreds and hundreds of years of this inquisition which has never been repented of ever so eve so i want to say this even if it's true that peter was the rock the whole idea of apostolic succession of popes is not true but having said that it is not true that peter is the rock it's not true we must look at all of scripture not take one verse out of context very important otherwise you end up with this false teaching in Matthew 16, 17, 18, I'm going to read it again and then explain what it really is saying. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So what it really is saying, Jesus is using a play on words here. He says, you are Simon, Peter, and, and the word for Peter is pebble, pebble. That's what it means. But he says, on this rock, I will build my church. He didn't say, on you, I will build the church. He didn't say that. He said, but on this rock. But there's a little play on words there. So he's saying, you're, you're a pebble, but on this rock, I'm going to build my church. The rock is the truth of Peter's confession. Jesus is the Christ. He's the Son of God. He's the rock. That's the confession that Jesus is going to build his church on. Notice that this isn't even in the book of Mark. Peter was the main source. He was the main source for the book of Mark. And this book was written to the Romans, the Gentiles in Rome. You would think if Peter was the future Pope of Rome, the Holy Spirit would include this passage in the book of Mark. These verses that were left out of Mark that are in Matthew. You would think he'd leave them out. But this omission is huge. No, the Holy Spirit includes it in Matthew. In Matthew, which was written to the Jews. Because it would mean something to them. They knew all about the foundation stone. They would know what the, this, this rock is all about. They would know it fulfilled Psalm 118, 21-24. Let me read that to you. I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. They would know it fulfilled this. No, there's no accident that this is sandwiched in both Matthew and Mark. This confession of Jesus being the Christ, and in Matthew... We see the, the sandwich being not just the Christ, but the rock. It's no accident because just before this, the Pharisees demand a sign and they reject Jesus. Right after this passage, we see Jesus predicts his death. And right in the middle of that is that the, the rock passage. And there's no accident. It's sandwiched in between. He's showing that Jesus is the, the rock that the Pharisees reject. And it fulfills the scripture. And then he predicts his death. But what about authority? Verses 19 to 20. When 19 to 20, when he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. 
What about that authority whole authority passage? Doesn't that mean St. Peter's at the gate deciding who's going to get into heaven and who's not? He's got the keys to salvation. And, and you know, all know the jokes about St. Peter and how you're going to have to try to get by St. Peter. Well, that's not what it's talking about at all. He says the same exact thing to the apostles a couple of chapters later in Matthew 18, 18, the classic passage on a, a brother who sins against you. And I'll just read you just verse 18 in that passage. The whole passage is Matthew 18, 15 through 20. But verse 18, he says, To all the apostles, I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's nothing to do with salvation. He's talking about church discipline and, and authority of the church discipline. It's not salvation like the, the Pope's claim. And the keys to the kingdom here have, are the, the, the gospel that Peter just confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's the keys to the kingdom, the gospel that Peter confessed and all the apostles preach in Acts. You see how those keys are used for salvation. Do you need further proof that Peter is not the rock? A few verses later in verse chapter 16, 23, he calls Peter Satan. There is only one rock, it's Jesus Christ. It's very important. Look at all scripture together. If you just take one verse, you can twist it and distort it and make it mean anything you want, and it turns into false teaching. You have to look at all of scripture to, to interpret the Bible. And I'm going to give you one more. That's the clincher. Peter's own words. Peter's own words. Who does he say is the rock that the church is built on? First Peter 2. And First Peter 2, 4 to 8. Who does he say? He says, oh yeah, he says, oh, and don't forget, I'm the rock. Built on me. Now listen to what he says. First Peter 2, 4 says, As you come to him, the living stone, capital stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, small s, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay in a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Who is the capstone? Who is the cornerstone? Who is the foundational stone? Jesus is the rock. Peter's own words. And we are just pebbles, just like Peter was the pebble. We're just little living stones that are being built into a spiritual house. We're built on Jesus Christ, the foundation stone, and it can't get any more clear than that. Okay. Christ is the rock. The church is built on Jesus Christ. And then, and this is where I really want to go with this today, it says the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Or if some of your versions say the gates of hell will not prevail. I love that. I love that. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell. It's no accident that the gates of hell are mentioned right here by Jesus. Here and now in this, this passage in this place. It's no accident. I have a little article here that I saved from a long time ago by uh, Ray uh, Vanderlaan. Yes, Ray Vanderlaan. Some of you have seen his videos. If you've never been to the Holy Land, visited Israel, Jerusalem, and everything, the next best thing is a Ray Vanderlaan video. He does these amazing teachings. I know some of our small groups have used them. He shows Israel, and, and he gives Old Testament history and New Testament connections. He's just powerful. But listen, I'm just going to read what he wrote, because I just love how he, he worded this. He said, 
an, an, another illustration of the assault on evil was apparent, Caesarea Philippi. He says, Caesarea Philippi, a beautiful city built by Herod Philip, constructed at the base of Mount Hermon near the mouth of an enormous cave, a center of bell worship. This cave right here in Caesarea Philippi, now don't forget, Caesarea Philippi is right where Jesus is. He's probably standing right by the cave. It's not in scripture, but very likely he, they can see the cave from where he's talking. The cave was a powerful symbol of the dark world. It was Hades. It was the entrance into Hades. Because Baal was thought to descend, the Baal, the false god, was thought to descend into the mouth every winter. He, that's why it got cold in winter. He went into the bowels of the earth until spring when he emerged to have sexual relations with his mistress, Asherah. Remember Asherah poles? From their union, the world was supposedly blessed with fertility. So he comes up out of Hades and he has sex with the goddess and then the trees get their leaves again and the crops grow. You get the picture. It was in Caesarea Philippi, perhaps in front of that cave, that Jesus spoke to his disciples shortly before his crucifixion. They're getting ready, he's going to be crucified. It's right there that he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Right there. Let's connect the dots. That's amazing, isn't it? Just before the crucifixion, in front of the gates of Hades, this cave, this gaping hole, this cave, you can Google it, look at the picture, it's wild. Jesus makes a vital point. He says the gates of hell will not prevail, will not prove stronger than the church. Talk about a visual picture, right? They all know what that, that's supposed to be where you get to hell from this, this cave, right? The gates of hell. And Jesus says it won't, the, the gates of hell will not prevail. Now I'm going to make a very, I'm going to point out something that most Christians miss. Most of us don't grasp. It's really complex here. I hope you get out a pen or listen. Gates don't move. Did you ever think about that? Gates don't move. What does that mean? We are on the offense. We are on the offensive. It only looks like hell is on the move when the church is retreating. We're on the offense. It's us. I remember when Josh, Josh who's now 18, when he was three, I was riding in the car, I'll never forget it. I'm riding in the car with him, and we're driving, and, he, and he's three years old, he's sitting in the back seat in his car seat, and he says, Dad, those trees are really moving fast. I said, what? <laughs> he goes, the trees are moving really fast. I go, no, no, Josh, no, no, no. The, our car is moving. It just looks like the trees are moving because our car is moving. They're, they're actually staying still. Oh, no, no, they're moving. I can see them. Now, I, I said, Josh, no, listen, listen. They're, they're, they're trees. They have roots in the ground. They can't move, you know. They, they're stuck there, you know. We're going really fast. We're going 55, probably. And uh, so we're, we're driving, and... And that's why it looks like they're going fast, but they're not. We're moving. No, no, Dad. I can, I don't, no. That's not true, Dad. They're moving, and, and, and they're moving fast. I could not convince him. I mean, he, he's a, he was a stubborn little kid. I guess he's stubborn as an 18-year-old, but we won't go there. But, but I couldn't convince him. And it's the same with the church today. The church you, in the USA today, the gates look like they're moving. They look like they're advancing because we're often moving backward but we are the ones on the offensive sure there are times during apostasy and a persecution when it looks like satan is winning but you read the book of revelation you see we win 
We are on. We're on the offense. We're on the offensive. And, and this is very important here. Even when it looks like Satan is winning, for the moment, you have to see with the eyes of faith. We have to see, especially in the USA Today, what we're facing. It's coming. We have to see with the eyes of faith. Very, very important. It, it started in the, with Jesus. The crucifixion. What did that look like? Total defeat. Pearl Harbor, you know, bomb, done, we're, we lost the war. It looked like total defeat is what it looked like to, to the church, to the Christians, to the apostles. They were hiding out. But Colossians 2, 13 to 15 points out that it was our victory, that the cross was a victory. He says here, when you are dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, evil mutants, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Talking about Satan and the demons. That was the defeat. It looked like a defeat, but it wasn't. It was a victory. And, and even the death of Christ led to the ultimate victory, the resurrection. Romans 1, 3 to 4 says, regarding the Son, Jesus, who is, who is to his human nature, was a a son of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Victory. We only know Jesus is the son of God because he raised, came back from the dead, showed his power, showed the spirit's power. It's victory. It's victory. We have to look with eyes of faith and not, 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 not human flesh eyes. The Roman emperors, church history, right after, after Christ, the Roman emperors came through and slaughtered the church. Slaughtered Christians. Read the stories, brutal, unthinkable things. Slaughtered it. And it looked like that was total defeat. But what they didn't realize is that the, that that was victory because the blood of the martyrs became the seed of the church. It was like pouring gasoline on fire as they're burning these human candle Christians in Nero's garden. They became the, a fire that spread. But but the, the gasoline that was poured on the fire was the blood of the martyrs. It was victory. It, it caused a worldwide revival that didn't slow down until. Rome joined the church. That was the screeching alt to the worldwide revival. Read the history. When William Tyndale was, was burned at the stake because he, he translated the Bible into the English language. That was a big no-no. Don't want the people to read the Bible. They burned him at the stake. And it looked like that was it. But, but the Bible that he translated which is a foundation of our Bible, most of it, became a spark that took the Reformation to the masses. And there was no stopping it. Once the people got the word of God in their hands and could see, read the Bible for themselves. Communist China, come up to the future. 
Some of you remember when, when communists trying to kick the, the missionaries out. Some of you remember that time. They kicked all, all the, the missionaries, said, get out of here, or we'll kill you. And the church in China was a million people, just a million. All those years of mission work, there was just a million converts, a million Christians in China. It had to go underground. No church buildings, they were all bulldozed or taken over. No pastors, they were all put in prison or killed. No missionaries, they were kicked out of the country. What's going to happen? Defeat. There won't be a church left in China. And yet when we were allowed back into China, when the, the ice thawed and, and some, some wet, the West was allowed to have some contact, what did they find? 75 million Christians. They think there's 100 million today. They far outnumber the Communist Party in China. God's plans, God's offensive plans are very different from ours, aren't they? This is a message we need today in the USA today. The USA is quickly changing. Many churches are apostate. I would say the majority are apostate now or they're compromising or they're very careful or they're cold. We could be persecuted at any time, in, in a very short time. It's all being set up. Christians are hated. Just, just read the news. Worldwide, the pieces are all falling into place. It's like reading the book of Revelation in, in, the, in the daily news or on your, you know, the one world government and one world religion is all being set up. Israel, which is God's timepiece, is a ticking time bomb. They have no true friends in this world except evangelical Christians. And even many evangelical Christians are being twisted. Remember this. During this time, remember this. Remember these words. Whether it's tomorrow or it's ten years from now, remember these words. The gates of hell shall not prevail. We are on the offense. We are God's special ops. We're the special op forces that are, are, that are, that are behind the enemy lines. And, and we're set to free hell's hostages. And this, this invasion, Jesus started an invasion on Christmas Day. When he was born, he, he started an invasion. It was his plan to take back the planet Earth. And it started on Christmas Day. And then he broke, on the cross, he broke the enemy's ability to win the war. Just like D-Day. When D-Day happened... The war was basically over. The enemy, Hitler and Germany, could no longer win that war anymore in Europe. It was done. D-Day broke it. Now, there's still a lot of fighting to go, but the war was basically over on D-Day. And that's what the cross and the resurrection did. That was our spiritual D-Day. And then when he ascended into heaven, he said, I shall return. MacArthur didn't say it first. Jesus said it. I shall return. And in the meantime, we're to be preparing for the second coming. That's what we're to be doing. We're supposed to be taking these key bridges and, and pivotal roads and freeing POWs and getting them out and, and, and helping people find Jesus Christ. Because they're all POWs. They're not our enemies. They're POWs. They're trapped by Satan. And we're supposed to be storing our ammunition, getting our ammunition stored with the word of God and, and getting our basic training done so that we're in shape for the, for the big test. What is basic training? It's spiritual basic training and, and all the little battles we're fighting is getting us ready for the big test, for the final battle. And that's what communion is all about. 
Communion is all about, let me read to you, 1 Corinthians 11, and you're going to see it in a new light, I think. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, where he says, For this I received from the Lord, what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes. When we take communion, we are remembering Jesus' first coming, his death on the cross, his giving of his body and his blood, and we're also preparing for the second coming it's not just the first coming it's always the second coming we're confessing we're reconnecting we're refocusing ourselves spiritually we're getting ready for that second coming and we have a part to play in this in fact in second uh, back to, i'm going to read another peter here in uh second peter 3 11 and 12 i'm just going to read you parts of it here where he says he says verse 11 since everything will be destroyed in this way talking about Second coming and the end times, wherever you're, whatever you end up on that whole thing. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Are we, are we preparing for that second coming? Are we speeding that coming? That's what communion is all about, and that's what we're going to take right now. What communion is, we take the, the bread and the, the cups of grape juice, and uh, when, if you feel led to come up, nobody, we don't make anybody come up or not come up. It's up to you. It's between you and God. But you just come up, you take the, the cup, you take the bread, you go back to your seat. You can take it with, by yourself, just you and God. You can take it with your family. You can take it with friends. However you feel led, it's between you and God to take this communion time. Now, if you... There's a few reasons why we shouldn't take this. One is if we haven't put our faith in Jesus Christ yet. We haven't surrendered our life to him. Then don't take it. Just wait. Nobody, we're not keeping track. We don't take attendance. Or if there's a sin in our life. That's why it's stress on the holiness there in, in the Lord's Supper. If there's something we're not willing to surrender. I didn't say it because we sin. We all sin. <laughs> we all sin. That's going to happen until we die. But, uh, but, but if there's a sin that we're not willing to surrender, we're not willing to say, God, please forgive me. Please help me to fight this. If there's something we're not willing to let go of, wait. But I hope everybody here puts their faith in Christ. If you haven't yet, and everybody here will open your hands and surrender whatever God is asking and say, God, help me again. I need your grace. I need your mercy. I need to help win this battle again. Let's pray. As we go in this time of prayer, I want to encourage you to pray. But before we take communion during this prayer time, maybe you're not ready for the second coming. Maybe you're sitting here and you're not ready for the second coming because you've never acted on the first coming. You've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. But you can do that right now. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life.
You can become a brand new person. You can be transformed into a brand new person, a son or a daughter of God, right now by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. There's no religious rituals. There's no religious person. It's between you and God. You can pray to him right now, heart to heart, mind to mind. And just say, God, I ask you to forgive me for all the wrong I've done, all the sin in my life. I repent of it. I turn away from it. I don't want it anymore. I ask you to forgive me. I put my faith in your son Jesus. I know he died on the cross for me. He rose again from the dead for me. And I'm putting my faith in him to take that sin, to take that punishment, to take judgment on himself. I put my faith in him. I'm going to follow Jesus. I give you my life. I make you Lord of my life. Forgive, faith, and follow. If you've just prayed that prayer, then something amazing has happened inside of you. You have brand new DNA. The Holy Spirit is in you. He's going to transform you. You're not even aware of it yet, but, but you may not be fully aware of it yet, but you are going to a brand new person in Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to let somebody know. Maybe you have a family member or friend here, or tell me on the way out, or fill out the card, or text me, email. Let somebody know. Because we're going to be excited and we can help you grow in your new faith. We can encourage you in that new life that you have in Jesus Christ. For those who are already Christians, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us as, we, as we're praying here now? Maybe it's about holiness and, and we are the living stones. Are we offering spiritual sacrifices, holy lives, pure lives? Are we pleasing God with our lives? What more could we want to do for Jesus who, who died for us and saved us? If Jesus was to come right now, for this, come back again for us, would we be excited or would we be hoping he'd wait a little bit longer? Are we preparing for the battle, for the war that we're in? Are we speeding the day living, by living holy and godly lives, speeding the day? Are we freeing POWs? It's Christmas. <laughs> Jesus came to set people free. Are we helping people find freedom in Christ? Who is God laying on our heart right now to reach out to? Maybe somebody we haven't talked to in a long time. For good reason. And yet the Holy Spirit is calling us to reach out and help them find Jesus Christ and freedom in Christ. Father, we pray that you would bless our time of communion now through your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your son Jesus who was born on Christmas, who died for us and rose again for us. It empowers us to live a new life in him. 
In Jesus' name.